We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome back to 10 Questions. Today's guest is my good friend Josh Lawson. I met Josh back in 2009 when we were filming the feature film The Wedding Party. Shamefully at that stage I hadn't watched any Thank God You're Here but I heard a lot about this guy Josh Lawson and how funny he was and at the time I remember thinking that I knew all the professional funny people in Australia and how funny could this Josh Lawson actually be. Well it turned out a lot funnier than my tiny little brain could ever imagine and he was smart and hard working as well. So we immediately cast him in season two of Wilfred as my good-looking brother and season one of Lowdown as the Australian cricket captain. It was around that time that he made any questions for Ben, then went off to the US where he starred opposite Don Cheadle and Kristen Bell in five seasons of House of Lies, as well as appearing in the film's campaign Anchorman 2 and The Little Death, which he wrote and directed. More recently... Josh has starred as Hoags in Hoags and George Lazenby in Becoming Bond, which absolutely crushed it at this year's South by Southwest. He's an intelligent guy, Josh. It's good to be living in the same city as him again, where I can tap into his enthusiasm and genius. And as usual, I start by asking him when he was most happy. Anytime anyone asks me that, I, there is a period in my life when I go back to, and I can't actually remember the specific year. It must have been around 2006, 2007, maybe. And I was living in Sydney City, uh, Elizabeth Street, right next to Hyde Park, and with two guys I went to high school with from Brisbane. They were down, a guy named uh, Tristan and uh, Chris. And I was, you know, trying to be a gigging actor at that point. And I, I had a, you know, I'd had a string of shitty jobs by then. Some that were way better than others. I mean, I remember. Um, uh, I was a projectionist at one point at Cinema Paris in Fox oh, Studios. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome, awesome. And I, I remember watching movies over and over again that I that really fundamentally shaped me as a you know an actor and a filmmaker and all that stuff. Royal Tenenbaums was on that. Yeah. I watched that a hundred times. Lantana, I saw so yeah. many times. Um, uh, Shivers. I'm forgetting the one with uh, Billy Bob and, uh, and Halle Berry. What was that? Ah. Uh. Am I thinking, is that, I guess they got Monster in the title? Yes, it does. It was the 2001 film Monster's Ball with Halle Berry and Billy Bob Thornton and the late great Heath Ledger. Halle Berry won an Oscar for her performance in the film, which is about a prison corrections officer who falls in love with the wife of the man he executed. But unfortunately for Josh, his other jobs weren't as much fun as being the projectionist for Monster's Ball. I had this cr- shitty job as a waiter in... It must have been uh, um, Coast. Okay. So it was a super fancy restaurant, and I just hated it so much. The clientele were just the worst. And I remember leaving there one day, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep doing this job because every second I'm at this job is taking me away from, like, stuff I should be writing or an audition I should be preparing for or whatever. I just I, That's it. I'm done. I don't care how much debt I go into. I'll put it all on credit cards. Um, I, I'm only going to do jobs that I think further my career in what I love, which is the arts. So I never turned up to that job again. I was, you know, writing with abandon. Uh, I was living with these guys who were just so fun. I had a social life, and I'm not really a social person. And 
and um, you know, and, and I remember I was writing in Oxford Street, so I was constantly going down, hanging out with you know actors and writers who I really loved and respected. You know, Toby Schmitz and Trav Cotton and you and Leslie, and we were we would see each other all the time and inspire each other. And we'd you know, if we were ever bored, we'd say, "Let's go do a play at the old Fitz," and we'd make no money, and we'd all <laughs> sort of chip in coins, you know, into a hat and see how much beer we could get after the show. And and and, and yeah, truly, it sounds like a cliche, but that that is the happiest time that I ever. I remember because I remember creatively I was so free. I wasn't trying to make money. I just knew that for the first time in my life, I had committed entirely to being an artist, you know, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. And, and that was a really awesome decision for me. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like oh, every time I went, you know, waited tables, I would have been writing a script. It wasn't that. It was just that mentally and emotionally – I never quite fully felt like I was an actor or a creative while I was still doing those jobs. Not. Yeah, and so I did go into debt. I seem, seem to remember about ten thousand dollars worth of debt that I, I've, you know, over time as I started working more, I was able to pay off. Uh, I don't regret it for a second. Now, I certainly am not recommending to people just to, you know, yeah. quit their day jobs and you know because things are t- times are tight. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. I, I just loved that time. And also, I, I, you know, f- f- in a weird way, it was the time in my life where I started to become a man as well. Mm, mm. I started growing into my body. Ed Cavalli and I became friends in that year yeah. as well. And he's, you know, remains one of my closest friends. He put we, you on a routine, put you on a workout. He did. He yeah, honestly yeah. put me going to the gym and stuff. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that helped me be a man. Yeah. Because I was, I didn't, yeah. I mean, it wasn't about being a man, it's not about being masculine or muscular. It just helped me get confidence yeah. in a way I'd never had before. Yeah. Um, it's good with that. It's, it's, a, it's one of those people that, you know, if you, if you do need a lot, I mean, talking of life coaches, we were talking about that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. He is good. He's really great yeah. at that. He kind of cuts through all the bullshit. Yeah. Anytime you sort of, you know, oh, I don't know about this, I don't know about this, he goes, he'll just go, no, 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 it's real simple. Yeah. And he'll give you the, the bare facts and sometimes hearing it like that is exactly <laughs> yeah. what you need. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it can bruise sometimes, but he's good at that. Yeah, what are you doing with the screenplay, Adam? Oh, well, I thought I'd do another drug. No, 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 no. Send it into Screen Australia now. Yeah, um, it's totally true. He said to me, he, I remember you always said, the world is divided into two things, that which exists and that which doesn't exist. And that idea that you keep talking about doesn't exist. <laughs> Write it down so that it does exist. And he's right. <laughs> Oh, it's all that thing, me, you know, banging on about, oh, I'm going to do it one day. He goes, well, until you do, shut up about it. Because right now it's air, it's vapor, it's nothing. <laughs> the gospel according to Cavalier. He's I, right. Yeah. He, he inspires you to, to, to get motivated. That's, that's right. Sure. Just a few people know uh, he, what a great life coach he is. Yeah. By the way, with what you were saying before, which is interesting, is that yeah. you, you're, you, you said before you're a little bit antisocial. Yeah. Um, that surprises me. It doesn't you're, really. You're very good socially. Yeah, I, and every time I do socialise on the rare occasions, I remember, I, I, you know, every time I leave, you know, the the, social, uh, the the occasion, I think to myself, I should do that more often. I like that. People are, people are actually pretty good. But yeah. I am really, I'm a bit of a hermit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very rarely leave the house. Um, yeah, but I, I'm trying to be better at that because I do actually enjoy it. And, yeah. Um, and I find that it, it's pretty rewarding. I don't mm. know why I hold myself up sometimes. Sometimes I, maybe yeah. it's a writer's condition. And maybe, maybe you're there by yourself, so you you know writing, and you kind of the brain is just programmed to be by yourself and and yeah. and uh, t- 
talking to yourself. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> Do you talk to yourself? Well, I think it's a Sarah Silverman joke. I talk to my cats, which is actually me just talking to myself. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, man. You, I have full conversations with myself. Often I'm sort of hashing out ideas and I'm seeing, I'm trying yeah. to talk as the character might talk to see if the idea has merit, yeah, to see yeah. if these characters make sense. But if you really looked at me, from an outside point of view, I look like an absolute psychopath. <laughs> I look like a crazy person talking to myself. There's a show, CCTV camera <laughs> yeah. in Josh's place. Um, the second question yes. is, who would you like to apologise to and why? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so many people. Uh, God. Who would I like to apologise to? Yeah, I mean, I seem to recall when, when you gave me this question, uh, uh, some... An, an, an instance came to mind um, uh, to do with a friend of mine who I had uh, had I'd heard a rumor about, and as it turns out, the rumor was true. But I I'd sp- I'd sort of very loosely told a bunch of people this rumor, and ultimately, the rumor ended up the fact that I had told some people ended up costing this person his job. Oh, wow. He got fired because this rumour had gotten back and then ultimately they were able to prove the rumour was true and it all came back to me being, you know, I had been told in confidence and I at the time <laughs> didn't think it was that, big, that yeah, so much yeah. of a big deal. I thought we'd all laugh about it. But, yeah, I um, and I, I won't go into details. But, but suffice to say that it, um, it taught me a valuable lesson about gossip. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I will say, after that event, I became a really good person to tell a secret to because I never, after that, I just wouldn't do that again because I can see how much damage it can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. that's good. And look, I will say that the person who lost his job and I are still really good friends. Oh, that's good. We're, you know, he was he took the high road, totally forgave me, and uh, uh, and he, you know, I'm not sure I could have been as magnanimous. So, I, uh, I, you know, <laughs> good on him. Yeah. Um, the question three is, or question three is, what's your greatest regret? Well, I feel like that sort of goes into the same territory, but let's move away from that then and see if I can find something new. I regret so much stuff. Is that normal? I always think oh, that the people go, no regrets. I don't have any regrets. Oh. I, I call bullshit on that all the time. Me too. Come on. You've got to regret something. Do Me we? too. You've got no kind of, you're not analysing your life. Oh, shit. What do I regret? I, I mean, I can pick anything. First thing that came to my head is I regret looking at the reviews of The Little Death. <laughs> <laughs> I regret doing that. Good or bad. I should ne- I, and I shouldn't have. I never will again. The Little Death is Josh's 2014 film about the secret fetishistic lives of five suburban couples living in Sydney. I remember seeing it, loving it. And at the end, it made me feel like I'd watched a really good Woody Allen film. It starred a bunch of my favourite actors, including Josh, Paddy Bramble, Damon Herriman and Kim Gingell. And there was an astounding performance by Kate Mulvaney, who's currently starring in Richard III. And TJ Power and Erin James perform in sign language throughout the film. Get on board. It's hilarious and moving. But let's get back to Josh and him regretting reading some of the film's reviews. That plunged me into some pretty horrible depression. Yeah, right. It's fucking horrible what people will write about you. Isn't it amazing? It's you put awful. so much work into something and and then people, like years, years. Mate, yes, I, literally I, you know, years. Eight years, years I, I, I you know, committed to trying to make that film. Yeah. 
I do want to do it at night where we all get together and read the worst reviews that we've ever <sighs> got. We've ever crackers. got. Okay, we should do yeah, that. I would love that. Worst reviews, please count me in. Okay, yeah. I, might, I might organize something where everyone just like you have to bring a really bad review or something you've done. You know, it's so funny when it's. I've always Cathartic. found it so interesting how vitriolic some reviews can be. Yeah, it's not like I'm asking someone to eat a bowl of shit. You know what I mean? Which I could go. I would then go, "Hey, fuck you, Josh Lawson. Why did you make me do that?" I'm going to get sick. That was all for one of the worst experiences of my life. I'm giving you 90 minutes of free entertainment. It's not that bad. Worst case scenario, it's not that bad. And yet afterwards, they'll be like, <clears throat> Josh Lawson, please fucking die immediately. You know, it's like, come on, really? I don't know if. Okay, so it wasn't your cup of tea. Do you have to go that heavy on it? I don't know. It hurts. It hurts. Oh, fuck it, mate. Let's just discuss what. Uh, what that depression post-review traumatic stress looks like. I mean, I for me, I, I, I'm kind of inconsolable. At, at oh, that point. I was. Oh, yeah, man, I really was in a dark place. I'd stare into middle distance and I'd just be replaying things in my head, going, <laughs> "Holy shit!" Huh? And you know, my girlfriend at the time was like, you know, just clicking her fingers in front of my face, going, "Babe, babe, come back." Quick interjection, I don't want to upset the narrative here, but The Little Death received many, many great reviews, including four stars from David Stratton. But as Josh goes on to explain in a minute, when there are negative reviews floating around, the good ones don't seem to make that much of an impact. I was in a fucking hole. And alternatively, since then, I have actively avoided reviews. And i got to tell you, it's the best thing in the world. Ignorance really is bliss. There are times where in the back of my head, I'm pretty convinced that people have hated something that I've done, but not knowing definitely really helps. That's great. Yeah. It's sort of, it's funny how it goes. You just push it out of your mind. Mm. If if you're not actively reading it. It's true. I mean, I, I, uh, I haven't read anything. I mean, I've definitely put a ban on ever Googling myself. Oh, never. I don't do that. Yeah. Not since a little death. I did that. That was truly the last time I ever did. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, it's no good. It's uh, terrible. Well, I had the alert. You I mean, had the alert? I had the alert for a while during when we had a company and everything. I, I, I had the alert and, you know, and I read everything I thought was a good thing to kind of like blood myself and, and be so I'd read all the good and all the bad, you know. And now I don't read anything. It's well, great. here's why. I mean, because that's a great theory, read the good mm. and the bad, except when I, I think that it's human nature to be more passionate about the bad. So when I see shit, you know, I'll watch a movie on Netflix or whatever and I'll love it, absolutely love it, but I'll never rate it. I'll never go, I've got to make sure I give that movie five stars. I just never think of it. Yeah. Right? But I do think when you hate something, you're way more uh, motivated to warn people that you hated it. But you're, not, you're less motivated the other way around to, to, alert, to alert people if something's so great. Maybe that's what we should do. We should start writing things positively. If we, actually, we should actually really discipline ourselves to do that. I think that's actually a good thing to get into, only positively. I mean, yeah. particularly for artists of who, are, who are trying not to perpetuate this, this cycle of viciousness. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I probably should do that more. If I love something, go, you know what, five stars. Forget four stars, three stars. Go five stars or don't rate it all. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, you know. Like Uber. Let's Uber. I never go less than five stars. No, no. Oh, I mean, it. you've got to be pretty horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you're a Trump supporter or something. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. If you, oh, you might knock a star off there. But seriously, let's vote for things we like. Michael Lalo wrote a great article for Fairfax last week which addressed those people who are upset with the gender bias and the Gold Logie nominations this year. Lalo's solution is to vote. 
Get online and have your say because you can guarantee the people who think differently to you are definitely voting. No, it's a, it's a perfect point. Exactly right. It's so funny to see how outraged people are about things that they truly aren't involved in. No, no. That's <laughs> it's <serious>. amazing. <laughs> I know. I know. No, um, question four, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? No. no that, I'm not sure that will ever happen. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's too much stuff. Um, put it, even if you're just focused on the work, let's look at work for one second. I mean, uh, there's no finish line in what we do. No. There's, there's never a moment where you go, and pens down, that's exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> it was make that film or that TV show or write that script, and now I can just kick, kick my heels up and, uh, and do, you know, thousand-piece jigsaw puzzles for the rest of my life. No way. It's once you finish, you need to do more. And, and it's not about greed. It's just when you're a creative your mind never stops. Yeah. You just want to keep telling stories or working with people who tell stories yeah. or making people laugh or moving people, whatever it is. We just have this compulsion to keep going. And I've been lucky enough to work with some of the most famous actors that are, you know, that are going around, you know, and, um, and they are just as dissatisfied. I promise you. Unbelievable. It, it's, it's, you think when you get to a certain point, they're like, they relax. They don't. They are just as hungry to keep going as as the out of work actor. In, certainly, in uh, that's to my mind, that's what. It's and that's what like. defines them too is is their hunger. Um, yeah, and it makes them great. What? How many ideas would you have on uh, like on a? Do you have a document full document, of your ideas? Yeah, it's called ideas. Uh, document called ideas on my desktop, and I've been adding to that since. I mean, easily for fifteen years. Um, if you if each idea is about two lines, you know, sort of in a nutshell, log line of an idea, you know, <laughs> uh, I think the document's now at 50 or 60 pages. Some of them are so half-baked. It's like I've woken up in the middle of a dream. You know when you wake up, has this ever happened to you? I love when this happens. You wake up laughing in a dream. Have you uh, ever wake up laughing? Yeah, once or twice, oh, yeah. It's, it doesn't yeah, happen it's often. And you're like, holy shit, it's, you're just dying laughing. And then in the morning, if you're lucky enough to remember it, it's the least funny thing in the world. Yeah. Like whatever context your dream gave you, it was hilarious in that moment. And then in the cold light of day, you're like, that's not funny at all. Um, Your dreaming self is a great audience. Oh, man. I wish. I wish (laughs) all people watching my stuff were like me. Um, But uh, so so plenty of those. You got, what, 50 or 60 pages, did you say? And I reckon if you boil down all those ideas, must be... I mean, easily a thousand, maybe. Yeah, wow. easily. Yeah. Um, if you boil down to the the ones that really could work, let's say it's quarter of that. Let's say it's two hundred and fifty that that are no better or worse than anything you see on, yeah. uh, you know, a Netflix or a TV. It's like I'm not saying the genius ideas. I'm saying that they could conceivably be a TV or a movie or a play or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't. I don't have enough life in me to make all that stuff. No. I'd be lucky. I mean, it took me eight years to make The Little Death. Eight years. I mean, if I'm half, uh, you know, if I'm twice as lucky the next time, it'll be four years to make another one. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. But I remember having a conversation with you about this, and, and I just come off the Rats and Cats experience mm. and was just devastated and broken. Yeah. And, um, and I said, oh, I've got another feature, but I, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can get it going. You went, mate. You just got to. You get. You gave me the Ed Cavalier. You said you just got to fucking do it, mate. You got to do it. Or else, or else you going to do. But now, since since we had that conversation, I made the little death, and I, man, do I feel what you went through in that moment. Well, literally, the last podcast I I had, you know, I spoke to Jim Owen, and he was talking about the crack, and I, and we're both saying that 
an independent film in Australia, uh, you, you probably only got one or two in you. Yeah. Oh, it's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. And so when, in particular, not to, not to harp on about reviews, but it's almost, in hindsight, comical when you, when you think of how gleefully they attack you in the reality of how much you've suffered making the film. Like, in a weird way, you, you always get the impression that the reviewer thinks you're sitting on a yacht somewhere lighting cigars with $100 notes. They do, mate. But the, the fact is that everyone's broke. We, you know, no one slept or ate. Like, we beg, borrowed, and stole whatever we could to make it. Mm-hmm. We know that we're not going to make any money. Yeah. And yet, you know, your reward at the end of it is to be told in every newspaper to go fuck yourself. Yeah. Honestly, somebody said, oh, did you have fun making little... I was like, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't fun. I, I loved... I'm glad of what happened. I'm proud of my work. But it's not like I, you know, at the end of it, walked away going... Oh, I was like riding a roller coaster, you know. Well, that's the illusion of show business because because yeah. when you watch that movie, you, you feel great. It's you, you, that that lightness comes that lightness comes Complete. through, and that's and obviously that is the art of show business. You don't actually uh, let people see the agony. That's right. That it took. That's exactly right, and you know, and, and in a way, you want yeah. people to know your agony because you want the sympathy, but you can't show. No, that's right. It's and not their responsibility. Just to make things clear, Josh and I actually really like being in the film and television industry, but whenever we see each other, we enjoy telling war stories. The only difference this time is we're recording them. Before we move on, one last thing on critics. I honestly, <laughs> I used to say fuck all reviewers. I you know good or bad, you know. <laughs> Go, I, I, I did, but now I'm like, you know what? Do your worst. Honestly, I, I'm not reading them now. It's, no, it's, no. The, it's, it's a great freedom, liberated from the uh, from the shackles of that yeah. narcissism. Yeah, other artists take note. Yeah. Um, who is the person who? Mo- or question five. Who is the person who most influenced you, and how? Influenced me. Um, <clears throat> geez, it's uh, again the most influenced. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I suppose in. You know the one the, the person who comes to mind might be Troy Kinney. Is this? Yeah, yeah. Um, Troy Kinney, a comedian, um, yeah, and, and writer and actor and, uh, and and lots of things. Yeah, Troy fighter, fighter. Yeah, he's a boy tie fighter. If you go if you follow his Instagram, he's <laughs> he's always in Thailand. Now the reason why I, I meant I think of Troy when you ask that question is that just creatively. Um, I felt very alone for a long, long time as a as a writer, and even as an actor, to be honest. You you feel like if, you just feel like you're going through um, the industry alone, and that your suffering is is uh, particular to you, and no, and and you'll and when you're not working, you feel like you'll never work again. And um, but Troy, I suppose, came into my life in a strange way. I, it was in Los Angeles, actually. Uh, I was at a bar and Troy was passing. and, and with, with Monty Franklin. With Monty Franklin, that's right. And uh, and Troy, and at that point, um, thank God you're here, had sort of been fresh yeah, on the yeah. air. And Troy, we got chatting about that. And, and we started writing together certain projects. Not every project, but we started writing together. And he, um, yeah, ma- maybe... Maybe not so much influenced, but more as as, uh, but rather inspires me to to sometimes work when I don't feel like working. He's got a good work ethic. He's great, he's great got a great work ethic. Yeah, he yeah. really does. Um, and and every time I kind of 
you know, send him a script and go, I don't know, this is probably shit. He'll come back and, and go, no, I think that there's something here in, in this and this and this. And he'll he'll remind me that every idea is worthy of, of exploring a little you bit. You need that. You, one needs that in, in, as a writer. I mean, it's too much of a lonely process otherwise. And you can get bogged down on, and fall out of love with, with what you're doing very quickly. Absolutely. Oh, God. You, you know, exactly right. Imagine if you've seen a movie twice on that second, you know, mm. the second viewing, it can become boring. Yeah. Well, as a writer, you watch that idea in your head thousands of times yeah it's so hard to keep it fresh in your head without getting bored of it uh you, you know so sometimes you do need an outside in, uh, voice to say no trust me from, uh, from where i sit that's actually pretty good that's great um and so yeah troy troy was that for me uh, and he's he's awesome at reading stuff because everyone's busy I, people send me stuff to read all the time it's hard to find the time oh, to give a script attention because yeah. you're never going to sit down to be honest it's a couple of hours out of your day and it um, is. Troy is he'll, he'll come back within 24 hours and having read it which is awesome um, like I've got that black cloud of guilt hanging over me <laughs> if someone sent me a script yeah, and I haven't yeah. read it and I just go oh, me too I'm an arsehole me too I had a friend who sent me a novel that they read oh. and I said look in fairness I may never read this yeah a couple of chapters a couple of, a couple of chapters I could commit to yeah, but an yeah. entire novel oh man oh man no that was rough that's tough yeah. <laughs> um, when was the last time you cried and why <laughs> Easy, all the time, every day. I'm not kidding. That's I'm. I, I cried this morning. What was that over? I was. Uh, boy, this is going to sound strange. Um, I was writing poetry. This morning. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm, I'm right in the middle of a poem. I, I love poetry. Yeah, um, I write it all the time. And in fact, a goal of mine in the next twelve months is to. Um, self-publish a book of oh, my gross. poetry. I've always wanted to do it. I know that it's not a money maker. It's just a bit of a, a boyhood dream of mine. Yeah. To, so I write these um, these epic poems, and this one I'm working on at the moment is um, uh, is about my dad, and it was for my dad, really, not really about him, but for him. And uh, yeah, I was just writing some stuff, and um, and I got a bit emotional about it. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's really uh, that's not uncommon at all. Clive James says the longer you stay away from Australia, the more powerful your memories of home become. I asked Josh if that was the case for him and what kind of effect it has on him, particularly when it comes to family. I really torture myself with guilt mm. about being not calling enough, not um, uh, not visiting enough, not being as involved in their lives and stuff. Yeah, I definitely, um, the Catholic guilt, yeah, yeah. it will, will haunt me forever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I was back in Brisbane uh, last year shooting um, hoax in Brisbane. It was awesome because I got to see my mum mm. more than I'd seen her in a decade. That's great. And that really, really helped. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realise how much I needed that because I think my life can become, and a lot of people's life, particularly Aussies in Los Angeles, anyone, or any Aussie in a different um, city around the world, will realise that how unbalanced it can feel sometimes. Mm. How your work can really take the 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 heavy load in your life and your family can be ignored sometimes yeah um you know i don't i'm not married i don't have kids i don't even have a pet mm. you know and so it could be easy to focus on me 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 all the time work 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 and the years just disappear i right? know and uh i mean yeah it could go months 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 that's without great. me speaking to my dad and your dad's a doctor, isn't he? Yeah, he's a doctor. Yeah. He's in Brisbane. Uh, and, yeah. And so I suppose as I was writing this poem, I was starting to feel guilty that I wasn't a better son and, you know, and, and you know, we don't live forever and, you know, all those feelings, all those natural feelings. What number are you? I'm the- four, number four. 
Uh, out of how many? Five. Five boys? Five boys. Yeah, and so do the other... I mean, I know Ben's over here, but do the others um, live in Brizzy or...? No, no one's in Brisbane anymore. Right, yeah. really? Matt's in Adelaide, David's in Melbourne, Jordan's in Sydney, Ben and I are here in LA. Okay. Yeah, so we're all over the place. Yeah, right. Um, and I don't know, I suppose, yeah, a part of me, um, not to get too deep, but that if... I, I, I hope one day I can be a father and I hope mm, I can have a family. Yeah. And I hope even further down the line than that, then when they're all grown, I can be friends with them. Yeah. My children. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I'm sad for dad, actually, that he, I'm, we just, we don't have that kind of relationship. Yeah. None of us do. Um, but that's not uncommon. In fact, it's a, no. good, it's a sign that it's a, he's been a good dad in yes, a way. Yeah, no, I agree. And in fact, that's that's not um, that's sort of where the poem is. Yeah, right. In a way that the the curse of being a good father is that perhaps you um, you know you you teach your kids too well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean it. It happens in any kind of leadership. If you, certainly, as soon as you become a leader, you can't be a friend. I mean, it's very difficult to it's be true. a friend. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I certainly don't have resentment towards him. I, I um, and in a lot of ways, maybe this is not a bad way of saying that. Um, you know, Dad probably might have been the biggest influence in my life. He seems. I've met him once. He seems like a really genial guy. Do you get your comedy chops from him? Yeah, I mean, he he's certainly not without his flaws. I can assure you. But um, <laughs> uh, but he is. I uh, he he definitely. You know what he did? I never forget it. He would explain jokes that we didn't get. So we'd be watching like a police academy movie. And I remember vividly, you know, he'd laugh at something and we would look at him and go, I don't get it. And he'd go, and he'd pause it and go, okay, so here's why it's funny. Oh, wow. And, and we would watch Looney Tunes and stuff constantly, which is just vaudeville. Looney Tunes is yeah. just vaudeville comedy. Um, and, you know, duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season. I mean, that stuff is like Abbott and Costello. Yeah. And so, you know, and he would, he would love that. And watching Dad laugh at that would taught me what audience what people found funny that's brilliant yeah and i do yeah, i honestly yeah. do instead of going to kids what is that i don't get it and you go you'll you'll get it when you're older don't honestly no. when you know i remember this one joke in one of the police academies where it's like he's a virgin and dad laughs or something you know he accuses someone of being yeah. a virgin and then we were like what does that mean and dad sort of paused it and went okay well when you don't know a woman that well and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know that can be embarrassing because other people know women really well and stuff you know and and, you know, it kind of made sense in the way yeah. that he explained it. And I remember going, okay, I can see how that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I know this well, sounds that. so stupid. But well, no, it's not. But it's a very delicate um, path he was walking there. And to, he wasn't deliberately young. doing it. I think he was just – it was nice to feel included in um, laughter. Laughter exactly. just seems so nice. And, I mean, it's a similar thing with, with me with my dad because he had all those Bob Newhart records oh. and Shelley Berman and Barry Humphrey. So it was like those – Records that I kind of grew up with, and then of course we watched Faulty Towers together and the Goodies. I oh, sorry, the Good. Uh, not, he wasn't a Goodies fan. He was um, Faulty Towers and the Two Ronnies, right? right. Um, and so that was what we shared. But that's that's important, I think. I think the, someone in that family holding your hand and teaching you about comedy really does set you up. Totally. And if you look at all my writing, really. That sort of vaudevillian double act back and forth <laughs> yeah, is yeah. how I write. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. is not that different to Duck Season, Rabbit Season. I mean, the Little Death <laughs> opening joke, I want you to rape me, rape yeah. you, you know. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a variation on the misunderstanding and the, you know, it was like the two Ronnie skits, yeah. you know. Um. 
Four candles. Four candles. Here you are. Four candles. No, four candles. Well, there you are. Four candles. No, four candles. <laughs> candles for forks. Four candles by the two Ronnies. One of the greatest sketches of all time and an early influence on Josh. Now we move on to question eight. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Well, um, well, I'm not going to bang on about the little death, uh, but I will mention something that I'm, I'm, that has moved me, uh, and it's to do with the poetry again. When uh, my good friend Mark Priestley died, did yeah. you know Mark at all? Many once, yeah, uh, yeah, Mark's- and I loved him in, um, I loved him in that Singapore. Oh, like Changi, Changi. He was yeah. awesome in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, so Mark Priest, he, he was an actor, um, and we went to NIDA together. He was two years above me at NIDA, and um, after we both graduated, we became friends, and we ended up acting together, and he acted in a couple of my plays, and uh, he was awesome, just a great, great guy. But, you know, um, he, ultimately he, he took his own life, and it was really horrible. I was in Los Angeles when it happened, and I was working. I couldn't get back for the funeral. And so... In my way of grieving and my way of, of being a part, or at least trying to be at that memorial service for him, was to write this poem called The Lighthouse Keeper. And ultimately, um, yeah, it, 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 it was read at his memorial and, and, there, and that was that for a time. Then the old Fitz, many, many years later, so only a couple of years ago now, the old Fitz had a massive refurb, which is a... a pub in um, yeah, Woolloomooloo. Fa- famous Sydney theatre too. Theatre pub, yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's a pub on one side and a theatre on the other and they had a massive refurb and they basically dedicated it to Mark Priestley who had wow. so many times acted there and that's had awesome. been such a massive part of that theatre. And um, on the front door of the theatre they put my entire poem, The Lighthouse Keeper, oh, wow. on the door. And there's pictures of it and, um, you know, that I posted online because I was so proud of that that something i did could could be lasting that's great and something i wrote without for a second ever thinking it would be seen by anyone outside of our friends and you did it for him and that's that's right that's, that's, that's what the great that's where the great art really does come totally. from. totally it know? was so selfless it had no, i mean selfless makes it sound like i'm but you, you had, a, you had yes, a focus. The focus was for him and for our friends, and mm. I knew that we were all grieving in our own and different ways. Uh, and and yeah, so that when um, someone's decision was to put that poem on the door, I certainly had nothing to do with it, and I was really touched. That's by that. great. Yeah. So if you do, if you are in Sydney and Mullumaloo, and you pass the old fits, and you want to read the poem, it's there for, for anyone to see. Um, who read it at at his service? Damon. Did he? Damon Harriman. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, and poor Damon, he was just, I mean, he was like, I don't know if I can get through this thing. And, he, he, you know, he he was tasked with it and he did um, an awesome job. That's great. Because we were all, I mean, he was, he was a good friend of for, to, for a lot of us. Yeah, I, and I hear about him a lot and his, and his legacy really lives on. And, mm. and, and all of you guys would have been, most of you anyway, would have been in your 20s, so it would have been one of the first significant passings in your lives. That's true. That's really true. And as you watch, uh, you know, uh, all of us in that group of friends go off to do, you know, different things. You and Leslie now, you know, in so many things, Toby Schmitz, you know. uh, Yeah. And you just sort of wonder, you you can't help but wonder sometimes what Mark would be doing now uh, because he was so great then. And was only getting better and better. I, I always suspected that he would would have been really successful. And, and Kate. Oh, and Kate, Kate Mulvaney, of course. I mean, she's 
Hasn't she She's kicked incredible. on? I mean, incredible. how great was she in the little, little death? Well, I mean, yeah, I just I'm her biggest fan. Yeah, but now she's she, she feels like such a trailblazer to me as well. Okay, yeah, she's so she's always creating her own stuff, and she's you know now she's doing Richard the Third at the moment. Unbelievable, and I, I'm not there to see it, but everyone who reviews does, it is huge. Yeah, you know, so I read other people's great. reviews. Oh no, happy! I <laughs> read other people's reviews. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, we should make that clear. But no, Kate's brilliant, and uh, and look, the, the little death was kind of filled up with so many of that Sydney theatre scene. Oh, from no. Kate and Damon oh. to Boyana to yeah, Al Dukes, yeah. um, you know, uh, to yeah, Pat Bramall and yeah. Kate Box. We, we all were acting um, in, you know, the, I remember Pat did one of my plays, uh, Work in Progress, at the Old Fitz. And that's how I first met Pat. That was years ago. And this play, by the way, Work in Progress, it was about a writer who brings home his latest female character that he's working on to meet his parents. But he hasn't finished her, so he's constantly... He's got his laptop with her, with him and he's constantly rewriting her as they have dinner. And and then, of course, when he goes to... He leaves the room, every other one, every other member of the family, the parents, start writing her to suit their needs as well. So this poor female character played by um, uh, Rita Calnier was... Um, she she was constantly being rewritten by every member of this family. How awesome! It what was a great awesome. Play. It was a great. Anyway, then a couple of years later, um, the movie Ruby Sparks came out yeah. in America. Do you remember this movie, Ruby Sparks? Uh, yeah, I know the movie. I never saw it. Never but, saw yeah. it either. But basically, the same thing about a character whose female uh, about a guy whose female character comes to life. And I thought to myself, well, snooze, you lose. I'll save you from the audio of me interrupting Josh to tell him in a very long-winded way that not only have I snoozed and lost, I've also been wide awake. And lost, which is way more embarrassing. We move on to question nine. Who would Josh want on his side in a battle and why? Shit. Um, I, got, I feel like I want to pick someone who, who is, uh, you know, i got to say, maybe a shout-out here to, to my agent Lisa Mann yeah. in Australia. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say... How long have you been with her? Since I graduated in 2001. Yeah. Good grief. 16 years. 16 years. Um... I mean, she's always on my side in a battle, but I think I she's um, you know shrewd and smart and and savvy and and kind and yeah in a, in a way I feel like she's a friend and a and a colleague and and uh, I don't know I can't imagine what my career would have been like without her. I certainly can't imagine what it will be like if she wasn't a part of it. So. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Lisa Mann, and uh, and if she's listening, and certainly should have tuned out by now. Um, but uh, <laughs> not necessarily. She, mate. There's no. Well, there's, there's only so many. Um, Lisa, uh, thirty-seven fifty-five. Yeah, you're, that's where you want to get in there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love her a lot. It's, it's interesting because as a producer, I you had agents that you love dealing with, and agents that you hated dealing with, and agents that you love dealing with won't pushovers or anything like that no. it's not, that's not why you love dealing with them fair. it's because they're honest fair got back to you mm. and obviously had really talented people and Lisa was the best she was yeah. she was fantastic that's um, good to know. I, I've, I've heard only that from people in the industry related to the question of who you'd want on your side in a battle and why Josh has worked closely with some of the biggest names in acting Don Cheadle Will Ferrell Kristen Bell to name a few and I wanted to know if there was something apart from just talent that separates the stars from the other actors. To be totally fair, there are some successful people where I, I do scratch my head a bit and go, yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure 
what your point of difference is. Yeah, I feel right. like there are lots of people like you. You probably got lucky at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah. As we all need to in order to be successful. You know? Right. We, there needs to be an element of luck involved. Totally. Um, but Don was certainly not like that. Don's talent was was undeniable. And it, it uh, his work ethic was the same. And mm. he also, he, like his talent is crazy in the sense, like the guy can sing and he can play like four different instruments and he can <laughs> dance. I mean, he, wow. he, he he's such a showman. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's an artist as well. He never he never drops his lines. I mean, he and he did everything on House of Lies every day. He had all the work, all the oh, so yeah, many lines. He did yeah, yeah. But he would come in every morning having done work on the lines. So you know, it's not like he was like, "What are we doing today?" He was like, "No, I went over this last night." I have a couple of ideas for changes. Here's what I think you're thinking in this moment, and here's what I'm thinking in this moment. He deconstructed everything, so that wow. when he's good, it's not an accident. That's hard work. Yeah, it takes um, time and effort and work to be that good. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, and, it makes sense. Absolutely makes. And and Will is the same way. I mean, you know, Will Ferrell is such a kind. Uh, you know. He's got so much heart, you know. I remember yeah, him yeah. first day on set in the campaign. He cut his way through, I think, like a hundred extras to come and say hi to me. Oh wow! And I, now that doesn't make him a great actor, but it does make him that kind of personality makes him a very warm person to watch. Like, there's a reason why he's so funny in a lot of ways, and it's because inherently he's such a great person. Yeah. And you want to be around him. You want to watch him for ninety minutes or however long you're going to watch him because. There's there's a niceness to him. I always thought yeah. that you know Will and Adam made such a great pairing. Mm. Adam, Adam McKay, yeah, they're constant collaborators because Will is so much heart and so much emotion, and Adam is sort of a genius mind. Yeah, and together they create sort of a superhuman. Well, that's what I think. Any great a- creative is a collaborator. Yeah, you've got to you've just got to be open to the ideas wherever they come from, whoever they come from. Mm. I think yeah, that's. And, and Matt Damon always says, you know, famously in interviews, that actors can often make the best directors because over the years they've gotten to work with so many directors yeah. that yeah. they can sort of cherry pick the best <laughs> yeah. things that work. And a lot of directors will never know how other directors work. Absolutely. Because they're never yeah. on set. I, I say that all the time to my director friends. You mm. know, you don't get to see each other work, whereas yeah. actors do. We, yeah. we get to see all the different tricks and you know what works what doesn't we, you yeah. know, I've seen so many directors say things to actors and watch the actors just shut down and I've, I remember saying to myself don't do that Yeah, right. don't do that because actors don't like that great good to know have you got anything in mind um, no I mean not not really I mean line reads can be they, yeah. some actors love line reads yeah. by the way they, you know not across the board but you know you would uh, I would never lead with a line read no, no, don't leave with one. But, you know, the thing, and it's horses for courses because mm. voiceover is, oh, you yeah. just get, you get the most hackneyed kind of direction. Oh. And, uh, um, and so, like, if someone can't articulate what they want, then I'm happy to hear a line read because then I can actually unlock it. That's a great point. And I think a lot of really good direction is a clear, lucid, uh, explanation of what it is you want. Yeah. Because yeah. most actors are relatively smart. And if you can say it in a way that we can understand, great. But some directors are so unclear. It's like, oh, you know, you're giving me a little bit of, uh, you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I don't, you haven't said anything. You haven't said anything. I know to you it's clear, but you, it's not coming out of your mouth. Um, well, can I just compliment you on the performances in The Little Death, mate? Well, they were fantastic. And the, and the fact, and 
and the fact that you didn't get nominated for best director is a travesty because people don't understand what a director does and the best performances can look shithouse in the hands of a bad director because well, you pre- you know when to press cut. Well, that's right. Oh, look, thank you. That's really cut. Look, I, I will say the old adage of, you know, good direction is 90% casting is not a bad one, mm. really. If you, if you cast great people, um, you, you know, you can uh, you sort of sit back and enjoy Look, yeah. the directing one, uh, the directing nomination, not so, not nearly as painful as the as the uh, the not having a, a, the writing nomination. I will say. Ah, yeah, that right. Hurt a little uh, bit more. Ah, yeah, I didn't. I, I, I here I am feeling. I was feeling sorry for the wrong thing. <laughs> you were. Mate. I'll take your sympathy, but uh, I'm just going to redirect <laughs> it. it mis- yeah, could. it was misdirected. Yeah. Um, and the final question, mate. What would you like your la- What would you like your last words to be? Oh God. <laughs> That'll uh, be it. Oh God! Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and there was a great. I, I'm reminded of that great Stephen Wright joke. Do you remember? He says, "I wish my first words had been quote, and my, <laughs> I want my last words to be end quote." <laughs> that was always pretty funny. Stephen Wright. I found an article I'd written on him. Really? Like 20 years ago, I interviewed incredible. him. Yeah. Um, I love that guy. I can't believe he's not lauded. You know, I can't believe he's not. No, he is in the co- among in the comedians. Co- I think. Yeah, yeah. People sort of recognise him as being the genius that he is. Oscar winner, by the way. Did we know? I this? know short film. Short film. Oscar yeah. winner. That's what yeah. I interviewed him about. Oh, it was, it, like short film. It was before he'd won the Oscar. Right. So there's Rowan Atkinson. Uh, yeah. In the yeah, it's, it's a good one. I, I'd love to. I want to go back and look at his speech. Oh shit! I haven't seen that. That must be on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be. Um, oh, so last words. I don't know. Um, probably hashtag blessed. <laughs> mate, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, my pleasure, mate. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff.